Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Kyrie eleison. That's the Greek for Lord, have mercy. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. And there's absolutely no doubt that we need to be praying that prayer over our nation. Uh, We talk about it being broken. But I tell you what the systematized endemic is in our nation. It's not just brokenness. That's a light word for sin. We need to be praying for our nation. We need a spiritual awakening. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. These are serious days of crisis. And when you take on a series of sermons like First Things First, you really are talking about our relationship to God, talking to him, calling out to him, speaking to him, bearing our hearts to him, bringing our burdens to him, taking him at his word and responding to his promises so that God can use us, speak through us, work in us, relieve us, encourage us, inspire us. So let's talk to him right now as we go into this first things first, the need to be in prayer, speaking to him, sharing our lives with him. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in you with all our heart. Thank you, Lord, that we may bring everything to you. Thank you that if in all our ways we acknowledge you, you will direct our paths. Help us to bring it all to you, Lord. Every moment of every day as we live each day, as we walk through whatever our thoughts and emotions and responses are to the world around us, stuff going on within us. Lord, have mercy. Meet us, speak to us, and give us the grace, Lord, to lay it all out to you and to trust you that you may direct us and inspire us. And we pray this, Lord, as we come to your word now. Take my lips, Lord, and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And we pray this for your name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, a dear friend of mine from years ago, he's gone home to be with the Lord. His name, Bishop Alfred. His name is Alfred Stanway. He was a bishop, an Australian bishop, who spent a lifetime working in, in Africa. And we called him out of retirement in Australia to come and help us start a new seminary here in Pittsburgh, in Ambridge to be precise, 
Trinity School for Ministry. And his whole life had been a life of trusting the Lord. One of the few books he wrote was about praying. His legendary, inspirational people out of history were people like George Muller and Hudson Taylor, people who had a great impact back in the 1800s in terms of reaching out to a world and transforming whatever it was they touched. And they trusted God absolutely in prayer. What God commands, he provides for. He is no man's debtor. And Bishop Stanway used to say this, pray last, get nowhere fast. Temptation is only to come to God in emergencies when uh, something critical happens. In fact, I had a friend who used to, when we'd say, let us pray, he'd say, it's come to that. He was mocking, uh, in a sense, being jocular. No, when first we pray, said Bishop Stanway, he would go on, then we're on our way. If first we pray, but pray last, get nowhere fast. So this series, First Things First, And this morning we're coming to a prayer of Moses. A prayer for people who were in desperate shape, were falling under God's judgment, and God had said that he was going to destroy them. Let me set the stage for this. We're in the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. The Exodus taken from Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. A massive, amazing movement through the parting of the Red Sea into the wilderness. And there they were when God called Moses back up onto the mountain to spend time with him. Remember, it was on the mountain that God called Moses in the first place to go rescue his people in Egypt. Let my people go, set them free. And he went to the sovereign of Egypt, Pharaoh. And that's a whole legendary story. Not just a story, but a piece of history. They've been released. And as I said, they're out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. Another miraculous action of God to release them and redeem them and save them bringing them to the wilderness that they're going to have to travel through to get to the promised land. God calls Moses back onto the mountain. A mountaintop experience, the ultimate mountaintop experience. It's there that Moses is given the Ten Commandments. Amongst other instructions about gathering that people, as if he was going up the mountain to say to God, Mission accomplished. No way. God was giving him a new mission of making that people into a nation with a center of worship, with the Lord himself at the center of it, and gave him the Ten Commandments. So at the close of chapter 31, we're going to be studying mostly in chapter 32, but at the close of chapter 31, you have these words. 
when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. And on those two tablets were the Ten Commandments. So Moses had had this amazing mountaintop experience with God. Now, while he's on the mountain, down in the valley, trouble is brewing. And simply described it as this, and the Lord told Moses this. It wasn't that Moses went down the mountain and discovered it. The Lord told him what was going on and what he was going to do. Listen to these words in verse 5 of Exodus 32. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the golden calf and announced that tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord so that the next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings, and afterwards sat down and ate and drank and got up to indulge in revelry. A golden calf had been made and they were worshipping the golden calf. How fickle humanity is. The Lord who had rescued them from Egypt brought them through their miraculous escape through the Red Sea, leading them on up to the promised land, called Moses to one side up into the mountain, gave him the Ten Commandments, and in his absence... They made themselves a golden calf to worship as if that were their God. And that's what brings judgment. So our reading began. I have seen these people, verse 9 of chapter 32 in the book of Exodus. I have seen these people, the Lord said. And they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then I will make of you a great nation. God in his righteous indignation was going to draw, destroy this ungrateful people. A holy God who has revealed himself to his people and rescued them is saying to Moses, back down at the bottom of this mountain, they are in debauchery, worshipping a golden calf. When it goes on to talk just about this revelry, that would be like pagan, sexual indulgence. In the name of worship, I'll tell you this, our golden calf today in the USA just to speak for ourselves. Our golden calf is sexual licentiousness. For us, sex is whatever you want it to be. That's the disposition of our nation. Whatever you want it to be. And that leads to the convenience of abortion. Because they have unwanted pregnancies through their sexual indulgences 
And so abortion becomes a kind of birth control, destroying the sanctity of life, little ones in the womb, created in the image of God, made after his likeness, to have a relationship with him, being destroyed in the womb. That's our golden calf. And the, the difficult thing for us to come to terms with is this, that that is never going to be changed just by changing rules and laws. People have got, I have only seen 99.9% .9 of anybody who changes their opinion from pro-death, pro-choice to pro-life and the sanctity of human life is through their spiritually coming alive from death to life themselves from seeking just their own ends and their own pleasures to finding the joy of knowing the living God when Jesus said I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness he means that for all of us and it's a powerful statement he wants us to have life, life in all its fullness. The misery of abortion, the pain of the mother who has given up her child. Millions upon millions now in our country. And there's the walking shame and pain of that. As well as innocent blood being shed. We're talking painful things. It turns my stomach to even think about that sort of thing. It's so in God's face. God can only bring judgment on us. My wife would say to, from time to time that she is not afraid of the opinions of people, but the judgment of God on our nation. Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, said this. If God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the seriousness of the problem. And what is the answer? It's a massive spiritual awakening, one person at a time, as hearts are changed and lives are changed. So to be praying for the people. Now Moses went to the Lord in prayer about the situation that was confronting them. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 is where the Lord says, I have seen this people, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that I, in my anger, may burn against them and destroy them. And Moses' response was to seek, listen to these words, Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Moses' response when he heard about that judgment on this stiff-necked people 
What's being described there is whether it's the horse with the bit in its mouth or the oxen with the, the yoke over its back, its neck. Resistance, stiff-necked, unable to be re-steered, changed in direction, brought into the right way from the wrong way. A stiff-necked people. God's going to destroy. God's judgment is a righteous indignation. He is the Lord. He knows the truth. He knows our hearts. He knows the people. Moses turns to God and seeks his favor. And in seeking his favor, the first thing he expresses as he prays about this disastrous situation, his first thing, his first thought while he's got compassion for the people and desires to rescue them, he speaks to God about God's honor. He said, the Egyptians will say of you that you brought this people out to destroy them. We don't want that said about you, God. You don't want that said about you. And what's in, in, inherent to those words is the desire on Moses' part Yes, for the rescuing of his people, but in the first place, not to see God dishonored. He did not want the name of God to be dishonored. Now, when we come in prayer for our nation, for individual people in our lives, our first thought needs to be, while we're praying in compassion to seek God's favor, and in seeking his favor, say to him, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are the Lord. You are in heaven. You are the grand, great authority. You are the Holy One. Our real problem is not just with stiff-necked people. Our real problem is We've got such a lesser and lower opinion of our God as if he is unable. And to seek his face and to seek his favor and to be concerned for his honor, that we may honor him. He who honors me, I will honor, says the Lord. Do we care about the honor of our God? Doesn't it distress you when you hear the name of our Lord Jesus taken in vain? Doesn't it pain you? I remember sitting in a club in uh, an airport in my traveling days. And I was sitting in the, uh, the club for frequent travelers. And I had an hour or so before my next flight. And there was a chap sitting across the, the way in that club on the phone going down. He was clearly a salesman. And he was going down his list of people that he was endeavoring to contact and whether he's going to see them now or following up on a, a, a visit that he's had. And his language over the phone was profane and he just went from one call to another. He had his list there. No sooner did he finish one call, he went to the next. 
and he was taking the name of the Lord Jesus in vain all over the place, out loud. I took a piece of paper, because here he is going from call to call, that was available there in the club with the club insignia. And I wrote to him, I knew his name. I'll call him Harry Schmuckelheimer. That was not his name. But with every call he said, this is Harry. And he would go on with his name and then go on with his conversation. So I said, dear Harry, the way you talk about the Lord is so painful. You shouldn't be taking his name in vain like this. I folded it, put it in an envelope and put his name on the front of the envelope, Harry Schmuckelheimer. Went over and gave it to him and went back and sat down and watched him. So he stopped his calls, put down his phone, picked up the envelope, there it is with his name on the front, opened it up and he read what I'd said to him. He was so angry, stood up, marched off out of there. But I guarantee you this, he will never, ever forget getting that note. And every time he takes the name of the Lord in vain, it's like God speaks to him. Do we care for the honor of our God in the way we live and pray and give ourselves? His second big prayer was to remind God of promises he had made. And he went on to say this, Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give you descendants for all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Moses reminds God of his intentions and his promises to his chosen people. And in our prayers, we can pray back to God the great statements that he has made concerning us. You probably still have in your hands, if you're a regular worshiper with us here at Christ Church, a book of promises that we gave out last year. The promises of God. Resuscitate that in your own mind. Get your hands on that book. Look at those promises and pray them back to God. The amazing things that God says that he has loved us with an everlasting love. That what I've already just quoted, Jesus, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundant. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, if that's your intention, then hear my prayers for every one of you here in church this morning, watching online, has people in your life, whether in your own family, neighbors, work associates, people that you play golf with, in your exercise club, wherever you know people, in any kind of friendship or association, you've got people who do not know Jesus. They are lost. And they need him. And in getting to know him, to be forgiven and made clean and made new and born again spiritually and made alive 
and given a whole new view of the world. I am so thrilled to live this side of Calvary. To know that the Lord Jesus came. His promise to be with us. To the end of the earth, to the end of time. And that's in the context of going and making disciples. You will be my witnesses. And first things first, to pray about that as well. Are there people that you're praying for, wanting to see, come to Christ? Get passionate about it. Plead with him for them. The need for them to come to know him. Let me ask you, do you know who was it was, was prayed for you? If you know and love the Lord Jesus, somebody was in your life. Somebody prayed for you somewhere along the way. Go to the Lord in prayer. We desperately need, as I've described it, a spiritual awakening. That happens one person at a time. And as you and I bring those one, one, one person at a time to him and beseech them, you can have families transformed and a generational change take place so that the whole inheritance of that family down through the years is transformed. And when that happens household by household, because of the individual by individual in the household who comes to know the Lord, it creates a wave of awakening. And there are seasons when God is at work and that becomes our opportunity. It's been a remarkable thing for us to be live streaming our worship. We've gone out to a much wider audience. And uh, my wife is watching by TV screen this morning, as am I most Sundays, worshiping with you all on the screen. I'm praying for a much wider audience that is also aware of our teaching and preaching. I have a nephew in Australia who's begun to pick us up and listen. And he needs to know the Lord. Let me just tell you about one person who came to my office years ago in a previous church that I pastored. She called up. She said, I don't belong in your church, but I need to talk to you. She had heard me on the radio, thought I might be helpful. She came to my office and uh, sat down, introduced herself by name. And then she said, what was really on her mind, she said, I believe God is calling me to divorce my husband. And this has never, ever been my response before or since. But I just, it was like God spoke through me. It was as if the room lit up when I said these words. God is telling you to do no such thing. And we talked about God's forgiveness. He had been unfaithful with another woman in the church to which she went, they went. If you can imagine that. And she wanted to divorce him. And I could understand that entirely. But she came to the Lord 
brought her husband to the Lord in prayer and he was converted and their marriage was healed. He and she became great friends of mine, came and worshipped at our church and along the way she said, I want you to speak to my two children. One had just returned from Vietnam in the military there and the other was still a student at Allegheny College here in Pennsylvania. And she sat them down in their uh, lounge and asked me to come and speak to them, which I did. They were both very scornful in a way and argumentative, but along the way, not that evening, they both came to Christ, both the son and the daughter, and the husband of the daughter and the wife of the son. Two new families. And amazingly, the woman with whom her husband had an affair, she came to Christ. And in fact, in speaking to this woman and asking permission to tell this story to you all today, she said, it's amazing you should ask because just this past week, that woman called me and thanked me for leading her to you, to the Lord. And now their grandchildren, two with each of those families, know and love Jesus. And now there are great-grandchildren who are being raised to know and love Jesus. This all out of one conversion, one family, and now this generational change that is still moving outward, touching the lives of other people. So two of her grandsons are on their way, I think, into leadership nationally via getting law degrees. Who is it you want to see come to know Jesus? First things first, pray for them. There are any other number of things we might do, but to pray for them. Let's pray right now. First things first. Oh Lord, we do concern ourselves with your honor. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us to honor you in all our ways, to acknowledge you, share our lives with you, be concerned, and hear our prayer for those who at the moment sit in darkness and in the land of death, in the land of the shadow of death, who have no hope, no spiritual joy or comfort, no awareness that hell's there before them, or if they do, they're trying to ignore it, needing to know that you love them, that you died for them, Lord Jesus, that they can welcome you into their lives and begin again, be forgiven, made new and clean. Oh, Lord Jesus, hear our prayer for them. And our prayer is right now, Lord Jesus, that you would move in our nation, the people like us who say we know you would live for you, pray according to your promises and the hope that you give us, that you may hear our prayer, answer our prayer, and start a nationwide wave of spiritual awakening, transforming us from the inside out. Oh Lord, thank you for drawing us to yourself. Use us now in prayer to draw others 
to yourself. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.